not the Passover, oh my goodness, Pentecost, yikes, Passover was 50 days ago. <laughs> we celebrate um, Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, this event that happened thousands of years ago, way, way, way away from here in Jerusalem. So why are we here? How can we be here? We look at the history of the church, the history since this time, this day of Pentecost, thousands of years ago, and we see a history scattered with much challenges, many struggles. We see much division, even corruption in the church, many obstacles to overcome, even in schisms, even in um, reformations. But here we are in Mesa, Arizona, united in the one true spirit of God to celebrate the feast, to celebrate this gift of our salvation. But again, how? I think it's interesting if we look in particular to the saints, because we have the saints as representatives of those who have gone before us in faith and were successful. That's why we have the saints, is to give us um, a better uh, representation, a better witness of what we are called to in faith. If you see any saint, you recognize their journey in faith. That it wasn't easy. <laughs> there are many, many obstacles, especially with the martyrs in particular, who faced even persecution and death itself. But they held fast to the faith. They had what some might call grit. Now, grit's not a commonly used word anymore. Um, it used to mean it was a slang for someone who had courage and determination despite difficulty. So I like the image of like a cowboy. You have a cowboy who does what they need to do because they have to. Even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, they don't throw up their hands and say, I give up. And they say, all right, got to do what I got to do. This is normal grit, though. What the saints have and had, and what many of us actually have, is what we call spiritual grit. Spiritual grit is that spiritual strength. The ability to overcome, again, difficult situations, sufferings, and struggle with that courage, with that determination in faith. And to have spiritual grit, you need the Spirit. Now, the apostles, although they'd spent much time with Jesus and they saw him resurrected, did not have spiritual grit in the upper room as they were waiting for Jesus. Or not waiting Jesus, I keep messing up tonight. Waiting for the Holy Spirit. Jesus had left. They were actually probably freaking out a little bit. Jesus, we just celebrated the ascension. Jesus was gone. He said, wait, sit tight. I'm going to send the advocate, the paraclete, my Holy Spirit to be with you. But here we can imagine them kind of freaking out a little bit. We hear in the first reading that they're fearful of persecution, perhaps even death from the Jews. So they're not being guided. They're lost a little bit. They're fearful, definitely not bold or courageous. And they're um, probably worried for, for their lives, that they may die. So anyways, maybe not Mary. Mary was there too. I'm sure Mary was, <laughs> Mary was fine. She's probably the one placating them. But then out of nowhere, you have this incredible event, this, this, this descent of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the empowerment of these, these weak men, these who were fearful and without guidance after Jesus had left, to the point where because of the Holy Spirit, they were able to go out to proclaim the gospel, to spread this new life in Christ throughout the world, to now where we are here and now celebrating that very same gift of faith in the Holy Spirit. 
But oftentimes, I think we disregard the Holy Spirit, especially as our advocate. Many times when we're in a tough spot, we're having a difficult time, we don't go to the Holy Spirit first. We, may go, we might go to something that helps us with uh, escapism or a coping mechanism. Usually these aren't very healthy. Sometimes they're okay. We might rely on a specific person or a specific experience or feeling. But we don't go to the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, sometimes. Usually oftentimes. It might be the last resort that we have. We forget that we have this great gift that allows us to have this spiritual grit. To be able to endure, to encounter great suffering and struggle not with fear and desperation, but with hope, boldness, and an assurance of God's love and his victory. So I want to highlight a few things that we see demonstrated by the descent of the Holy Spirit to help us better recognize how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and how we're called to call upon the paraclete to assist us in living, not just passively identifying as a Christian, but living as a beloved son and daughter of God, living in this new life in Christ. So firstly, we have this this primary encounter of the wind, this loud, raucous noise, this wind that enters into this small room. <laughs> it's at that point, the apostles are freaking out before, they're probably freaking out even more. But we have this image, this idea of the Holy Spirit as the wind, God's holy wind, which enters into the lives of the apostles. We see this idea of wind, even breath of God, um, all the way back in Genesis, where um, God spoke everything into being. The word of God, Jesus Christ, which would, you know, Jesus would never later become, the word of God would later become flesh in Jesus Christ. But speaking out everything into being, breathing life into Adam and Eve. And even in the, the gospel today, Jesus breathing on the apostles. We have this image of, of, of wind that gives life and that guides. I think a helpful image for us to pray with, especially with the Holy Spirit, is to imagine our soul, and this sounds a little cheesy, but bear with me, as a sailboat in the middle of the ocean. Now, to be able to operate a sailboat, you need wind. If you don't have wind, you're stranded. And oftentimes, we fear if we don't adhere to what God's calling us, if we're fearful of what he may be telling us, that we're going to encounter some kind of um, opposition, or God's going to make life difficult for us. But in reality, it just means that our sailboat isn't moving. That if we don't recognize where the wind is, and we don't move to direct ourselves being pushed by the wind in our sailboats, then we're dead in the water. And usually this is because of fear. Maybe the Lord is calling us to healing. Maybe towards forgiveness. Maybe towards a deeper relationship with him, a deeper trust in him. Maybe he's calling us to, to proclaim our faith to those who don't want to hear it. Perhaps he's just calling us to be more bold in who we are as his beloved. We can be fearful out of disappointment, unsurety. And as a result, we just stay dead in the water. But any sailor worth his or her salt knows how to use the wind, how to recognize where it is blowing and to use it to move. So in that way, the Spirit guides us, gives us life, and directs us towards that newness of life as we grow. We're not dead in the water, but we continue to move and grow with the Holy Spirit. Next, we have this pretty incredible image of the tongues of flame. <laughs> so we have these two elements, fire and then the image of a tongue. Fire as this bold, unrelenting force that does not give up, that is not quenched. And then a tongue, which represents speaking. The word, the gifts of, of, of words, the power of words being spoken into being. 
combined, we have this unrelenting gift of speech. Now, I always imagine that it was just a bunch of flopping <laughs> tongues on fire, which is a horrifying image. But what this gave the apostles was the ability to be bold, to not be fearful, to not be anxious. As they were fearful and timid in the upper room, they did not have that boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel. That they were fearful. They were unsure of themselves and of God. But with the Holy Spirit, they're able then to go out and to face those struggles in the world, those fears. And we have them here today. Oftentimes, we have a very cynical outlook on how we interact with other people, especially with the gospel. Well, if I, if I preach the gospel, if I share this with others, they will reject it and they won't like me anymore. Or I'll be persecuted or hurtful things will be said of me. Or it's not proper to share my beliefs. So we get so worried about how other people feel that we forget what we are called to do. To share that gift of the gospel. And to not be fearful of what we're going to say or how people will react. doesn't mean we weaponize the gospel. It means that we preach the truth. And we're not fearful of what we say. We hear elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus says, don't be fearful. I will give you the words that you need through the Holy Spirit. And you'll be flabbergasted how the Holy Spirit will work through us, does work through us to share that gift, that grace of the gospel. There's an incredible witness in Jeremiah who was a prophet, not a bullfrog, um, and he had this very difficult conflict internally that um, he, as a prophet, needed to basically tell the Israelites, hey, you guys are wrong, you're doing wrong. You've strayed from God's path we need to get back on the train. We need to get back on our track. And that wasn't a fun job to have because people don't like other people telling them that they're doing something wrong. <laughs> but we have Jeremiah who has this internal conflict. He personally is fearful. He doesn't want to proclaim these words that God has placed in his heart. But we hear him in this internal conflict in Jeremiah 20. I say, I will not mention him. He's speaking about God. I will no longer speak his name. But then it is as if a fire is burning in my heart. Imprisoned in my bones, I grow weary holding back. I cannot. That Jeremiah is unable to hold back. He must speak these words that have been placed on his heart. In the same way, if we allow the Holy Spirit to set our hearts on fire, if we engage with this tongue of flame that has been gifted to us by God, then we too can speak boldly and face those things in the world boldly. And it's just not only in speech but also when we encounter different struggles and different sufferings, that we can oftentimes be fearful of trusting the Lord, that we can be fearful of encountering true sadness or suffering. And as we do, we can become dis distrustful of God, that we can give up, that we can say, that's it, I give up, it's not worth it anymore. Instead of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, in my anguish, in my suffering, in my struggle, please, Lord, allow me to get through this. Allow me to persist by your grace. Because I cannot do it alone. As we hear in the second reading that it's by the Holy Spirit that we call Jesus Lord. Without the Holy Spirit, we are nothing. Finally, we have this incredible encounter. After the apostles have received these tongues of flame, they're, they're juiced up, they're ready to go. They go outside and they immediately, for the first time, proclaim the gospel boldly by the Holy Spirit. And you have this event, we might call it like an anti-Babel um, event. Babel was when 
before the languages were scattered, we had unity in mankind. And what what did we do with that unity? We tried to build a tower, a tower so tall, a tower so big that it would would conquer God. It would be greater than God. So we use that gift of speech, that gift of unity for the sake of sin, for the sake of pride, for the sake of power in the world. So the Lord scrambled the language, and since, there was a, since then there was a division in language. But here we have this anti-Babel event where the apostles are preaching, they're proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming the gospel. And these individuals from all around the world who are there to celebrate the Pentecost feast are blown away that they can understand what the apostles are saying, that they had the gift of tongues to be able to proclaim to them. And they receive this, and they hear it, and they believe it in their hearts because they are moved by the Holy Spirit. And there is this incredible unity, even amidst all these, from different cultural backgrounds, from different squabbles, from different cultural wounds from the past. There is unity in Christ. (coughs) No matter what their status is in society, no matter where they came from, that they are united in Jesus Christ. And this is the unity our Lord calls us to in the Holy Spirit. That we are united in one body in Christ, in one spirit. And especially today when there is such radical division, such radical individualism, to the point where we are more divided than we ever were. Even in our own church, unfortunately, there is no better time than now to really call upon the Holy Spirit for unity. And oftentimes we look for unity in the powers of man, the powers of the world. But instead we are called to unity in Christ. This unity, this language that is spoken in faith that transcends all cultures, all languages, all struggles, all ways and walks of life to unify us in the saving life in Christ. So my encouragement for us, especially as we finish this Easter season, it's easy for us to say, okay, well, the fun Easter season's over. Now we're moving back into ordinary time, breaking out the green. Now it's a time for us then to go out like the apostles, to not give up, to not get lazy, but to be emboldened by the Holy Spirit to go out into the world in our own capacity, in our own ways in life, to share that gift of the gospel, to be bold and confident in who we are as God's beloved, and to be strengthened and call upon the Holy Spirit to assist us in living out this new life in Christ, to have that spiritual grit, that boldness and faith, and that confidence as beloved sons and daughters of God and bearers of the Holy Spirit. Amen.